The Pro Video Coalition podcast is brought to you by FilmTools.com. Since 1996, FilmTools has been Hollywood's one-stop shop for all things production. No matter your filmmaking needs, FilmTools has you covered when you need gear for your next shoot. This week, FilmTools is offering Pro Video Coalition podcast listeners 5% off qualifying purchases when shopping on FilmTools.com. All you have to do is enter code PVCPOD at checkout. That's P-V-C-P-O-D at checkout to get 5% off your purchases on FilmTools.com. So whether you need a new stinger, a cart, or a Lassie hard drive, make sure to head over to FilmTools.com and use code PVCPOD at checkout to get 5% off your next equipment purchases. Welcome to another of our weekly-ish. I'm going to keep saying weekly-ish because I know we're going to miss one uh, sometime soon. Episodes of the Pro Video Coalition podcast, the PVC News podcast, where we chat up a little bit about what was going on in the last week in the uh, film and video world of stuff. I'm uh, Scott Simmons, and Damian Allen's on the other end of the Skype line. Hey. Damian, how are you? Good. So it was kind of a uh, maybe a relatively quiet week. Last week, I was actually out of town for NAB New York, so I went up there and taught a few classes at the post-production conference that runs adjacent to NAB New York. Have you ever been to NAB New York? No, you know what? I've I've been to the it's the Javits Center, right? The Jacob Javits Center, the glass yeah. structure. I, I've been to like a uh, one of the photography expo ex whatever it was. Uh, I think it's a pretty big one. Uh, but it's been a few years, so and certainly not the NAB uh, conference. So how was that? Was it uh, tiny? Was it huge? What's the deal? Uh, it is not huge, as in like NAB Vegas is huge. It was not super tiny. They had the uh, – it didn't even obviously – well, let's say obviously because you weren't there. It didn't take up the, the entire – it did not take up the entire um, exhibition hall. It was just part of part of it because I looked through a window and saw a huge, vast, empty bit of space. But I think it's not supposed to, at least not yet. My understanding, as I learned while I was there, that it was taken over from a different conference that was uh, used to be by a different name. And they took it over a number of years ago, maybe five, three or five, something like that. So it probably could be a thing where it's kind of starting to grow and whatnot. The uh, It was interesting because the show floor, Sony had a booth there, Avid had a booth there, Adobe had a booth there, JVC had a booth there. But, you know, the Sony booth was just a few cameras and it was a, uh, what do they call it, like pipe and drape kind of things. So that, that's really what it was, was right. just small well, booths with a few It's people. kind of a, a little bit of a tough sell coming straight on the heels of IBC in uh, September. Yeah, you know, so sure. a lot of, a lot of companies, even just their employees, are fatigued by that point, and so telling them that they have to jump on a, another plane and go to New York, some of them that's interesting, some of them maybe not so much. Yeah. So yeah, it's uh, uh, I tell you who did have a big, the biggest booth, probably one of the biggest, was Black Magic, and they actually set up the IMAX for the on the floor hands on training like they did at NAB. It wasn't as big; it was maybe. Gosh, I don't know, maybe twenty or thirty IMAX, which is still not small. No, that's but part of their booth was was doing the hands on the hands on training in you know infusion and and edit, resolve edit color, fair light and everything. Yeah, that's that's interesting. They definitely they seem to be at all the shows, which is almost like a reverse trend. You know, it used to be in the nineties and O's, everyone would have uh, big booths and show floors, and then Apple pulled out of. Uh, and a B, and it was almost like a, a lot of companies decided it's just not worth the bang for buck. And uh, 
Blackmagic's kind of bucking the trend there and, and putting on these classrooms that are actually not a bad idea given that people are only just seeming to become aware now in 2019 that it's a full-blown editing platform and not just a coloring tool. Uh, it is a full-blown editing platform. Uh, case in point, they have released, it is shipping, because I know someone that bought one at retail, the $995,000, what, wait, hang on. It's not $995,000. That would be $995, or as I like to do with prices that go to, you know, in 99 cents, round it up, because it's actually 1000 bucks. The Resolve Editor keyboard, which they had on the floor to, uh, to, to um, kick, kick, uh, kick the tires on, of which I was able to keep one for two weeks and, do, and I got a, wrote, a, wrote a review on it up on PVC. Yeah, and that was a pretty in-depth review. I, I took a look at it. Um, actually, there were good reviews of your review. I saw a couple of comments there, people that uh, you know were happy that things were answered. Uh, so what's your, you know, obviously the review has to be objective, but let's talk about your warm fuzzy on that one. What, uh, what was your takeaway? My takeaway was it is really... It's it's very pleasant to use if um, if you're I mean obviously it's for editing it's not made for color it's not made for you know the Fairlight page it's not made for the uh, whether well, not really the liver page it's made for the cut page uh, primarily and the edit page as well it it's really well built very well constructed the uh, search dial as they call it but we would know it as the jog shuttle wheel. It's you know if you like a jog shuttle wheel for your day to day editing you'll really like this jog shuttle wheel because it's really nice it feels really good it's weighted nicely I particularly you know I don't mind the shut the frame by frame shuttling I don't use the VTR like jog fun function much but where it really shines is in combination with the editing keys the trimming keys it's built in the left side of the keyboard so you know in a nutshell if you want to do a certain kind of trim you hold down the trim key and then you turn the search dial. And depending on what's selected and, you know, things like that, you'll trim different parts of the timeline. And that was actually kind of cool and a different sort of experience. Yeah, I, I remember re reading before. your reading that in your article. And, and even though I haven't experienced it, instantly I thought, actually, that is a great idea. Because that's one of those things that always seems a little clumsy with a mouse. The whole ripple and roll trim and that kind of stuff. Uh, so I could see that actually working really nicely with a, with a jug shuttle. Well, if you think about... Um, the discussion of trimming, I mean, who is the legendary NLE for trimming? And that is, of course, Avid for its dynamic yeah. trimming. And no one has, has uh, you know, Final Cut 10 does not have um, proper JKL dynamic, dynamic trimming. Um, Premiere does. It just doesn't work, you know, near as well as Avid. And Resolve has it, too. Uh, yeah, they, they I, pretty much ripped everything they could out of the, out of Avid, I would say, in terms of that stuff into Resolve. I'm going to disagree with that because... Yeah. In Avid, when you go into your trim mode, it does its does its thing that it does really well. In Resolve, they also have, you know, when you hit T, you go into the trim mode. And then you have to put it into dynamic mode, either with holding down a modifier key or by hitting, you know, W or the dynamic trimming mode button. So it's kind of a two-step thing. And it just, I mean, no one has been able to replicate what Avid does with dynamic trimming, just, right. you know, full stop. It, it, but I think with the keyboard, you're not playing the trim back quite the same way you are with, with Avid with dynamic trimming, but you're, you're kind of doing it in a different, you know, kind of a different way that you can feel, you know, I'm using air quotes here. You can feel it. You can feel the trim in, in a way that you can when you click and drag with the, with the mouse. And I think that's what, that's what it brings to the table that, you know, the, um, the click and mouse drag, dragging trimming folks won't, 
you know, don't, don't get when you click and drag to, to, yeah. do, your, to do your trimming. So, you know, I think that's, that is one of the unique, unique things about it. So obviously you're, you're an avid guy. Um, I'm an everything guy. Okay. But, uh, you know, if you're, if you're left to your own devices and you have your pick, which one would you naturally edit in? I probably do more premiere these days. Really? Because the, yeah, because of what my, the market I'm in has kind of gone predominantly premiere. But I, you know, I, premiere has so many ways to do any one task. I, I really like that, that I can really, I've really yeah. tailored it to a really good, good workflow. But, you know, I mean, it does depend on what, you know, what the job is that, I, that I'm on. When I had the Resolve keyboard, I had, a, you know, I actually did a couple of, um, you know, full-on real, you know, real paid jobs I was able to, to do in it and kind of get a good feel for it. You know, these are simple corporate things. It wasn't anything overly complex. And um, and I I mean, I really very much enjoyed the keyboard. It's really constructed well, and it's really a pleasure to type on. In fact, I mentioned in the review, my favorite keyboard of all time is one of the older sort of white Mac chiclet, you know, I don't know if that's yeah, what yeah. people call them chiclet type I'm, I'm keyboards. I'm looking at one right now. As am I. And um, and that's been my favorite typing surface by far for years and years and years. And I've tried lots of different keyboards. But I, you know, this rivals it as far as just the, the the quality of what it's like to type on. And a couple of comments I saw at NAB, people were like, oh, my God, that thing looks like it's you know, you're going to build up. You're going to have steroids in your fingers. It's going to be so hard to use. But like the force it takes to type, it's 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 nowhere near as as. Um, doesn't take as much effort as it as it probably looks like it would take, especially if you're coming from those old, uh, like the old linear keyboards that it sort of looks like. Because some of those things right. were, I mean, you had to get a hammer yeah. to bang yeah. some of those keys. So, a thousand bucks of your hard-earned cash, would you would you drop it? If I was working, if I had a Resolve dedicated suite where that's what I cut in all the time every day, then I, 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 I would. I think it's kind of a no-brainer. If you're only in it every now and then, or if you're jumping back and forth amongst you know lots of different tools, or when you're you, you do seventy-five percent of your work in Premiere because that's what you know the client asked for, then you know it'd be hard pressed to spend a thousand bucks. But if you're if Resolve is your thing, if you've gone all in, or if you know if you're in a facility or something, and they ask, hey, should we buy one of these things for you? You'd be like, yeah, man, yeah. do it. Um, and we we've uh, we've talked about this offline uh, before, but it's interesting that. You know, we balk at the idea of spending a thousand bucks when it wasn't that long ago that your edit suite, the software and hardware alone would would set you back two hundred thousand plus. You know, that was what it cost to get in the game in the nineties. Oh, yeah. yeah, but that's old people talking. Are you old? Are you an old person? I'm yeah, old I'm, person. I don't feel old. <laughs> I, me neither. Uh, I'm glad it's not like that anymore. I'm. I'm. You yeah. know, there are those that like sort of dislike the. Um, commoditization of the tools but i'm you know i'm like i'm fine with me i've got four nles looking you know staring me in my dock and i'm i'm perfectly fine with that it's just you know it's just the nature of uh the business it's you know um speaking of uh get your employer to pay for it i think i had a conversation about nab new york with someone else about hey should i spend the money to go and if you can get your employer to pay for it i think absolutely as you can i think you can probably talk to people for longer and without a lot right. of uh you know people sweating you at NAB New York, because there's just not as many as many people there. I mean, there's not as many booths and as much product, but you know, it's probably a place where you can do a little bit of um, chit chat that you might not be able to do it at NAB. Um, plus, it's in New York City, so I mean, yeah. my gosh, what a perfect place to go on someone else's dime, and it's even a good place to go on your own dime. I mean, I would rather spend my money 
to go to uh, in New York than Vegas any day of the week. Yeah, I, I totally in agreement. And and that that whole thing you know can't be understated. Just the uh, business connections thing because. A lot of people don't understand that that's a lot of what goes on at trade shows is actually getting FaceTime with yeah. people. And uh, I, I've found, especially when things get quiet, it's funny on that you know, Thursday of NAB where everyone's pretty much gone home, mm -hmm. that's the time where you can kind of catch up with people sometimes and, and they go, ah, oh, you know what, let me, let me just throw you a license of that and give it a shot. Or you, know, you can get all these pretty killer deals and uh, people are kind of tired and in a good mood sometimes. And... Yeah. Uh, so it really does uh, pay to to actually talk to people. Uh, you, it's amazing how much goodwill there can be out there. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that um, one nice thing about uh, like the post production conference that I that I was teaching at, I did a you know we did some of the same classes that we did at at in Vegas, and I was in a class teaching it at Vegas, and there was you know two hundred people in the room, but at this one there was twenty. So it was a much smaller kind of educational environment. And I had some really nice conversations with some of the people that were attending the conference. And we got to chat a little bit you know, longer than we might have at NAB when it's all, you know, rush, 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 rush. So that's, you know, that's kind of a, kind of, kind of yeah. a plus. Is it, you know, are you going to get as much out of it as, as Vegas? Yes and no, you could, depending on what you do, but it's, there's not as much product. There's not, as, there's not parties going on, but hell, it's New York. I mean, it's, there's a party somewhere in New York all yeah. the time. Yeah. So, hey, um, we were talking before, you've seen Gemini Man in all its glory, right? Uh, yeah, that was gonna that was gonna actually segue into that discussion because I did see Gemini Man there in in Vegas. I mean, in New York, in three d, in high frame rate. I don't know if it was four k. I don't think i don't I don't think there's any four k one twenty screens around. There's like maybe two in the world from one article that I read. So I think most projections are showing it two k. 3D at 60 frames a second. That's, so you were at 120. No, I think I was at 60. Oh, you were at 60. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it definitely. Um, it well, I think it's, yeah. When it started, the first few previews were not in high frame rate, and then they had a couple little, little like uh, you know commercials that weren't. But then one popped on that was that I guess was meant to play right before Gemini Man. I was like, whoa, there it is. And I had so, seen The Hobbit at 48. Right. So that's one reason I wanted to see this. I wanted to kind of. Feel it out. And one of the tricky things is obviously it's in 3D as well. So that kind of mutes a little bit of the 24 versus 60 thing in some ways because you're experiencing the 3D. But what was your general feel? Um, um, there are times when it was kind of none, not an issue. Like there's some good action scenes and stuff where I think that I kind of totally forgot about it. And it probably made the action scenes feel a little bit different. I think it not right. probably definitely did, but I didn't think about it at all. But then there were two other issues with it. There were times when there were some quiet conversational scenes, you know, with with the you know current older Will Smith and different characters, and that high frame rate. You're just you, you're. I mean, I was just taken out of it because it's like, oh, this is you know soap opera. It's it's that yeah. video. It's, yeah. it's that feel. Um, I mean, still we're getting the story, but I couldn't help. And this may just be the, uh, you know, the, 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 the film post-production guru, you know, that, that is many of us who would probably see this movie that you you just know what's going on. You can't get past the, uh, feel of it. But then the other thing 
you know, they, uh, they have the young Will Smith, which was kind of motion captured, I believe. And he was, uh, you know, and there was just, he was kind of like animated in his face was animated in and stuff. I think there's a great article on FX guide about how they did this. Um, and there are times when you, it just really didn't feel real, especially, I won't tell you what happens at the very end, but there's just a, you know, there's just a conversation at the very end. And I'm just the whole time thinking he just, he did not look real at all. Just not at all. And you know, it doesn't matter how hard and how sophisticated, how hard to try and how sophisticated it is. In 2019, the subtleties of the human face and our ability to perceive something gone wrong there, uh, just, it's very, it's, we're just not there. I mean, we're a long way away, I think, still. Uh, Every year they say, we finally made the perfect digital human kind of thing. Or, or I don't know if they use those words, but someone says, this is the breakthrough moment. And then you look at it and go, eh, still not buying it. No, you know, and I've always liked that term, you know, uncanny valley, which is that, yeah. um, that weirdness that these digital, I don't know if it's just digital humans, but I think maybe any digital character that you, you, you know it in the real world. So when you see it faked on screen, you can tell it's kind of fake. At least that's my understanding of the term uncanny valley. Yeah. But, um, there, I read an article somewhere about Gemini Man was saying that it was, you know, it's amazing. This is a watershed moment of, uh, you know, digital humans, if you will. And um, I just, I, 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 didn't, I didn't see it because there were too many times. It was just mainly just the quiet times, you know. It was the quiet conversations when things slowed down yeah. that it was just painfully obvious that he was, he had been uh, recreated. And it wasn't, it wasn't that his face didn't look like a young Will Smith. I think he, it looked really good, but what was weird, especially in this last scene that I really got to watch it was just the way he, you know, his kind of facial expressions were and the way he was kind of looking at the other characters. So, something about it just, even though it looked like a real person, looked like a young Will, young Will Smith, it just, you could just tell like, okay, this is not how a human face acts. It's not how they're going to listen. Like they were listening wrong, you know, to the people talking and he was reacting wrong and looking wrong at the other people, you know, maybe it's the way he's, he's holding his mouth or just something was just quite, quite off. But is it, you know, it may be the best that's been done like that, but I think you're right. You know what? I, I think what one thing that I found uh, kind of interesting was when that last Star Wars movie came out, I heard a bunch of people saying how fake some of the Carrie Fisher scenes looked. Yeah. Well, it turned out she, she actually filmed them all before she died. So, uh, I mean, there may have been some doctored but for the most part they were the actual footage and well, yet you had people you saying rogue, are you talking about rogue one no the, exactly uh, last like, jedi okay the, the last jedi because she didn't she's didn't they recreate her at the end of rogue one because rogue one yeah ends. well they rec- yeah they recreated the young version of her and now oh, okay but i heard people making comments like oh that's so fake <laughs> yeah. about her in uh in the last one and from my understanding at least all the scenes were shot uh, before she passed away. So, uh, you know, people were fooling themselves into thinking reality looked fake. So that was interesting. That's true. But I, I do believe that they, um, I think they had to do some manipulation to make her, uh, very to possibly make her, to make yeah. her fit into, to make her fit into everything. The, um, uh, some of the scenes of fake Will Smith, the, when the action stuff was going on, then it was really cool. Cause you, you know, you weren't really concentrating on, on the fact that he was, um, yeah, that he was the young one and, and you couldn't really 
key in on 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 the weirdness there. But well, um, I, I will say the whole sixty fr- uh, frame per second thing is interesting because you know you've got Peter Jackson pushing forty eight. Obviously, James Cameron is a big proponent. And 24 frames per second really is a very lousy frame rate. I mean, as soon as you start panning the camera, everything goes crazy. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. It, and, it, and it came about because it was pretty much almost as low as we could get and maintain it, the illusion of persistence of vision back in the day when it was really hard yeah. to actually crank film that fast. But we, to me, it has this surreal dream equality that we associated because we've watched it so long. So when we see 60 frames per second, it just looks like you say, that soap opera sort of uh, daytime television feel. And I wonder, I wonder if they're going to succeed, you know, in pushing us as an audience. I mean, I know, I know. Younger, younger kids who've grown up playing video games at 60 frames per second, maybe. But I've even talked to them and they have the same kind of reaction typically. They go, yeah, I like it better with that, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I've, I've had instances where um, you're somewhere and you've got a TV that has 120 or 240 hertz motion smoothing turned on. Oh, yeah, that's horrible. And yeah, and there'll be people that comment on it and they don't, you know, they don't know what's, what's up. They're just like, okay, what's wrong with this picture? This or something is weird. Yeah. I don't think it's kind of a, a similar thing to that. I mean, that said, I really applaud Ang Lee and Cameron for trying this stuff. I would, I would wish I could have seen the the 120 frame, you know, 4K HDR. I would have loved to have seen what that looked like, you know, at the top of the line. Um, and I would have gone to see it. I mean, I went and saw this one at high frame rate. I, I probably wouldn't have seen the movie if it was just regular, because it, you know, it's just like to me, it's like just another action movie. Um, but that kind of made me go see it. But I don't, I don't think it's made much money. Yeah, I, no, I, I no, don't think it has. No. But, you know, as a as a VFX guy, I have a mixed feelings about that whole high frame rate stuff because on the one hand it's job security there's more frames to yeah. deal with on the on the other side we love to hide stuff in motion blur you know and at yeah, that totally. frame rate there's no motion blur there's nowhere to oh, hide you're, it's a lot of pixels a lot of, so. a lot of frames you have to um manipulate which which reminds me i believe you, uh, you put up a, a piece on movieola.com about tattoo removal which kind of yeah. makes which i think about like all right you have to track um something over the tattoo maybe maybe you're painting it out and you got to track the paint or you got to move some skin around something like that and it's like well yeah that's kind of they did something sim- i don't know how similar but you know they had to make will smith's face young they had to put stuff on there and track it and make sure it followed and and yeah if you've got 60 frames 120 frames a second then that seems like quadruple quadruple it's, work it's, it's a done. lot of work yeah i yeah. i've done i've done uh heavy duty 3d facial makeup reconstruction on a on a big budget film i had to put uh zombie veins on someone's face and they had like it was about 40 shots where they you know maybe not 40 but it was a yeah i think it was actually but there was a lot of dialogue and it's amazing just how much the soft tissue deforms in a face especially when someone's talking it was yeah it was probably three or four months of my life uh dialing that stuff in wow. so it, it, yeah it's not trivial by any means to get that so that it Nothing looks like it slides and everything looks natural. And of course, what they're doing is full digital models of muscle deformations and things. It's, it is pretty high-tech stuff. But uh, perhaps that was a problem with it because you don't get those natural deformations. And, you, and it's all that stuff that you you just know from being a human alive in the world, kind of like memory colors. We talk about the color of sky and skin tones and things like that. I mean, it's hard to color correct for good skin tones because 
you know, you may yeah. see your scopes do their thing and you may think it's really good, but then sometimes you just look back on it and you're, and I mean, it's, that's what I do sometimes. It's, and I say to myself, this is just not, this doesn't look right. And it's because, yeah. you know, I know exactly what skin should look like because I've looked at it for 40 plus years. And that's, that honestly, I've found uh, whenever I'm kind of moving into a new discipline in uh, post-production arts, the most frustrating thing is to know it's not right, but not know how to make it right. You know, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's really annoying. It's like, okay, I know, you know, it, I find that with sound sometimes, you know, uh, if I'm mixing, I know this, I know this is too muddy, but I just don't know which frequency to pull, what to do. And oh, yeah. likewise in color correction, you're absolutely right. It's like, okay, I know this skin's wrong. And the problem is with color, so often it's the interrelation with the palette of the the frame it's not just the yeah. the hue and the saturation of that one thing that skin tone yeah um yeah so it's uh yeah it's it's a it's not trivial there's a reason why this stuff costs money which unfortunately clients <laughs> don't really understand <sighs> ever yeah, I was having this discussion with a friend i met up with in new york was having dinner with and we we're talking about um i i won't say the uh very well-known broadcaster and they moved to a new building and they had, I don't know how many, a, a ton of edit suites. But in the new building, what they did was they took a huge open space and they put up cubicles with headphones and then added, you know, maybe double the size. And then they have just a couple of nice edit suites that you can reserve for certain things. But, you know, you're talking editors who have been, who are career professionals who've been in their own edit suite for years and years and years and have worked in their edit suite for years and years and years, suddenly getting picked up and dropped into uh, you know a bullpen with cubicles and um, and headphones to edit on wow. for eight hours a day, editing you know promos and shows and stuff like that. And it's just it's talk talk about you know bean counters and and executives not understanding the process or giving a shit about the process. It's really you know that's really uh, well I mean, even I, the I, lighting I, I, right. Oh, yeah. any kind of lighting judgment, color judgments in that kind of environment is disastrous. Yeah. I'm sure it's probably just fluorescence overhead, I would think, in that in that type of scenario. But it's it's just really I would really find it difficult to continue a full time job if I was dropped into cube and I really don't like to edit with, with headphones in a cubicle. And it's just and it's you know, it's partly I'm I'm lucky that I've been able to not have to do that as a full time gig anywhere in my life. But I mean there are many editors that do that and and they're um you know they're they're glad to be doing it because there's there's sometimes it's kind of hard to find find yeah. full time work in the in the profession. But it's just a real. I, I toured a place in Nashville and they were gonna they were changing their scenario around to do that. And I I said, man, this you're just you have it's no respect for the people doing the work. It's one of the absolute. It it is it is not one of the absolute worst ways to to edit. It is probably the worst way to edit outside of being in a cubicle with headphones on a laptop. You at least. Yeah. You have an iMac. The only thing worse than what I think they were doing would have been cubicles headphones with with a laptop instead of cubicle headphones with a with an iMac. It's just it is just, in my humble opinion, the worst way in which to work. Yeah, and uh, you know what? That's it's it's interesting to see where everything's going to go uh, as as so much of this work because you know I mean we're dealing with just such a ridiculous amount of content now. Uh, people are looking for ways just to churn stuff out and. Oh, yeah. uh, there's a reality, uh, you know, we have an interesting situation coming up in California. In fact, the uh, law goes into effect, these, uh, these new laws that they say for uh, protecting the Uber drivers of the world, but um, they've changed the contract laws here uh, in California so that 
um, basically you do have to hire people as full-time W2 employees and uh, it's going to, that will change the landscape in itself. So yeah. as a visual effects artist, if I hire, which I frequently do, I'll hire, you know, I'll get a, get a new job, uh, come in and I'll hire two or three guys in my Rolodex f to work for me for maybe a week, maybe two weeks, maybe three days to get these shots done. Well, under these new laws, I can't uh, hire them as independent contractors. I have to put them on as full-time staff for three days worth of work. I mean, uh, yeah, so it's true. I can, I can see both sides of the coin. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't, that's, yeah, and what is the old saying, you know, what California does, so goes the rest of the country, or maybe I just made that up. Um, <laughs> no, I think, I think, well, politically, I think that's what they say, but. Yeah, because you, you, you can see if it goes well there, but. I mean, I hire people to assist me, work with me on occasion, and I'm very often hired to do to do stuff. I mean, I don't think we have. I, I don't. I've never experienced some of the sweatshop type of environments that I know other other people have. You know, I am again lucky that I'm, you know, seasoned professional who's been doing it a long time, and I and I'm not having to jump into this crazy world of of the large amount of content that it, that you mentioned um, is coming out. But I. I you know, I could see my, and it's part of it's my stubbornness, like cubicle with headphones. Like, no, I'm not taking this not job. I don't, yeah. don't want to do it. It's not worth the, um, it's not worth what it's going to, I mean, it had to pay, it had to be really well paying. And so often that type of working environment is not well, not well yeah. paying, at least not paying of what's, what's deserved. I agree. I, you know, I think those are the things where you do, uh, you do have to make that trade off decision of quality of life. And, and the reality is, we do uh, commercial artists you balance the commercial with the artist side and at some point uh you still have to be able to feel free to to be creative and if you're just back in a in a cubicle grinding stuff out then i think the creativity is is always going to ultimately uh kind of yeah. disappear and if you're just cutting together a bunch of news pieces that's one thing but if you're trying to actually craft a story uh, as an editor uh it's hard to see how that's going to happen yeah. in any real way in that kind of environment. Well, that's what some of these places would probably tell you. Like, it's throwaway, it's junk, it's crap. You know, we just have to churn it out to have something new every day or every two days or three three new pieces a day, and it doesn't matter really the quality at all. And which is true, I still think it matters the environment in which it is produced in. And it kind of goes back to that whole, um, you know, do you not care enough about your employees to at least make them comfortable and and cubicle editing with headphones is nowhere near comfortable, but it costs money to have edit suites. And I get that. Yeah. Get that too. It, um, especially some proper edit suites, but even, you know, here's an enclosed room where you don't have to wear headphones. And if you got to do that times 50 edit bays, then you got to have some serious space to be able to make that happen. Yeah. And, and the reality is, you know, for our industry, the visual effects industry, most of the stuff has just gone overseas for that very reason, because Americans, uh, you know, typically will not work in those kinds of conditions or we have labor laws that protect us from working in those kinds of conditions. And uh, overseas, the those issues kind of conveniently disappear for a lot of people. Yeah. Very and, true. Uh, and, you know, VFX is really very not, very unimmune, that's probably not a word, uh, to, like to, <laughs> to outsourcing. I think editing, maybe not assistant editing, but editing there's still enough collaboration with the client or director that you kind of need to be in the same room. Mm -hmm. uh, vi visual effects, 
India and China are so fast now at turning things around overnight that, uh, you know, I've gone a bit on stuff at Warner Brothers and they said, look, we want to use you. We'll even tell you what number to bid at. But just so you know, we have Indian companies that are turning around the shots overnight and they're doing a better job than the American vendors. So what are we going to do? You know, we can't justify so, yeah. uh, keeping stuff local when the, the overseas guys are doing a better job for less. So, you know, um, I think I think editorial is a little safer on that grounds, although I do think assistant editor jobs, um, if it's not the machine learning bots that take over uh, the outsourcing way well over the next few years. Yeah, I, I don't. I think you're, you're you're very correct in that. There's a lot of a lot of tools that have that have already come online that have trying to uh, you know speed up the process and, and do and, and make and make the things make things less tedious. I mean, it's only going to continue to advance. I think you know certain places where you'll have full time you know head lead editors, head editors, whatever you want to call it, who they like something that the assistants can bring to the table, and they will always need them and want them. But there are many places where that boring assist work and that, that menial repetitive assist work will, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to go, it's going to go bye-bye. I mean, it's not going to go bye-bye. It's going to go uh, automated. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm a little surprised right now in 2019 based on what's out there that out, these nonlinear editors like Resolve, Premiere Pro don't automatically just give you smart bins with here are your close-ups, here's your close-up of this character, here's your close-up of this character. Uh, these are shots we think would be establishing shots based on the motion of the drone. And, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. all those sorts of things seem, they were all within reach. I think it's just a matter of someone sitting down and programmatically building them. But the machine yeah. learning uh, abilities are certainly there to, to pull those out today. Yeah. Uh, so I think it's only, there's only going to be more of it added in as we, as time progresses. That's for and, sure. And at the end of the day, like what you were talking about, way back before we got boring <laughs> is uh you know the whole democratization of this software in some ways it's only a good thing for anyone that actually has a creative vision the ability to pull off something really large mm -hmm. uh, is just getting closer and closer every day yeah absolutely absolutely um wait well, hey, speaking of boring let's let's not <laughs> let's, let's wrap let's, it up let's cut it uh <laughs> let's cut it short before i, I think that, that's about all that we had in the news last week there wasn't any, anything else major um, Not really, except for Coppola and uh, Coppola and uh, Scorsese calling Marvel despicable trash. But. Oh yeah, yeah, I, I read that. I read that too. Well, you uh, know, which is which is great. I, I think I, it writes I itself. Yeah, I don't particularly enjoy superhero movies all that much. I mean, they're okay. Some of them are way better than others. But as one who enjoys, um, really, at least Gemini Man was an original story. I was happy to spend my money to right. see that original story. I love original stories that aren't remakes and that aren't sequels. It's one thing if you're if you're filming a book, that's that's fine too. But um, yeah, I, I I I like it when someone says, you know, let's do something that hasn't been done before. Like yeah. you know, Joker. It's like, you know, it was good. I liked it. It was an original. It was a very interesting take on the character we we know. But those comparisons to Taxi Driver, it was like, yeah, I saw it in. I, I saw the same movie for the most part in Taxi Driver, and it was fine yeah, with Taxi right. Driver. I didn't. Um, I, I I enjoyed Joker. I'm glad they made it, but ultimately, I don't know. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, I won't watch it again, and I'll forget about it. You know, probably next year. <laughs> Some movies I forget about the next day, but I'll maybe forget that one next year. All right. Well, I'm I'm not going to see it. <laughs> All right. It's worth. 
seen, I think. But you know what? I I just there's enough dark, twisted mess in the in the world. I, I, I unless there's something I feel like is compellingly redemptive or life story or uh, I'm not interested in seeing darkness for darkness' sake. Maybe maybe you can can tell me it's this moral tale in there that's worth seeing, but. Uh, oh, I'm sure that there. Uh, you watch some of the interviews with the uh, with the director. I mean, he's kind of talking just that. That it's. I think it kind of comes down to that it's that whole like we're holding up a mirror to society argument, which yeah. I get. You know, I guess in a sense they 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 kind of are. But um, no, I don't. I think you will come away dis- disappointed um, then. And, and like personally, I don't watch. I don't like horror movies very much for that very reasons. Like I don't need horror in my movies. There's plenty of horror in the real world. But yeah. I'm happy to see a. You know, a violent, um, sex-filled, uh, bad language. Uh, you know, movies made for an adult audience. I, I wish that the NC-17 rating could actually be a real thing that has a you know has a valid place in the theaters. Because I think there's really good reasons to have those movies in the world, and they can be some really great art. But you, um, you know, if if it if it is just for the sake thereof of sex and violence, then I'm like, yeah, I can I could I could I could care less. I want to see something that's got value to it. And, you know, yeah. Joker, I don't know. Kind of does. I think you'll be disappointed, though. So, <laughs> I think wait, I, till, wait till Netflix or... Yeah, I just, I'll just skip it entirely. I'm good. I, I'm okay not to have ever seen it, really. Here's how it ended. Okay. So, <laughs> Wait, you should uh, set up the big spoiler sign then. Yeah. I wanted to... It's not... Well, the ending was actually the ending was a little something, but um, I think it went in. It was like, really, that's how they ended it. That was uh, that was actually how I what I um said to myself, like that's how they ended it. Yeah, those those bum me out too, and that not from a darkness standpoint, just from a well, that was not a satisfying end to yeah. my. There's yeah. a lot of people that loved it, though. I mean, there's a lot of people. That yeah, just... no, it's and and talk about you know in comparison with Gemini Man, the critical success translating to dollars. That thing is uh, mm-hmm. doing yeah. extremely well. That it is. That it is. Yeah. You know, and and, and maybe a, I guess it's kind of a risky thing. It was probably a risky thing. Uh, so maybe that'll that'll let them make more risky movies. But I, um, you know, though, and it's probably more R-rated. It's like Terminator Dark Fate is R-rated. That's kind of the thing now. These movies yeah. you expect to be. PG-13 at least to pull in a bigger audience like Deadpool, you know, it's like, oh, it's going to be R, so it better be. But, you know, it's just going to be more cursing and violence. Yeah. Maybe a little bit of sex. That's it's, it's, it's just the it's only thing that's going to be is more of that. And, eh, you know, I guess, does that make it better? I don't know. That's that's debatable. Agreed. Agreed. All right. All right. Uh, I'll have a go and we'll chat at uh, some point uh, in the uh, later this week, maybe next week as we attempt to keep on our weekly schedule, but we will see what happens in, um, in our lives. I know next week I am at a client's place uh, for four days, so I will not be able to jump in, but we'll figure that out on our own calendars. Awesome. All see right. you later. See you next Bye. time.